Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 113 of Control the Controllables. As those of you who would have listened to lots of these podcasts will know, a big belief of mine is very much around tennis being a vehicle that takes us through life. It opens up opportunities, it builds networks, and it develops skills that we can call on in in all of the different moments in our life, whether that is in other jobs, in other fields, whether that is in relationships with your family, you know, whether that's the ability to travel and be able to manage disappointment in in all the aspects of your life. It, It really is an incredible sport, and it's something I'm very passionate about. And today's guest has certainly experienced the highs and the lows of the sport, but also the highs and the lows in life as well. This time last year, I mean, what, what were we in April? This time last year, I was rock bottom, mate. I mean, yep. I literally didn't see a way out. Every day I'm waking up and I think, oh, I'm done. Not done. Like, I mean, I've never had them thoughts, but it, I didn't feel a way out. Yep. And it was all like, I've lost everything. Do you know what I mean, I literally lost everything. There was no way out. And there was just no. constant every day. It was just getting worse and worse. And I'm thinking, oh my God. And it was just, man, I was, I was ill, proper ill. But then a year on, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And that was Lewis Burton. And some of you will know Lewis Burton as a tennis player, but some of you will know Lewis Burton as the boyfriend of the late Caroline Flack, who mental health took her life back in February of 2020 and again as you know from the podcast if you've listened mental health is something that we hold very close to our heart I don't personally know Caroline uh, but I certainly do know people that have that have gone through real mental health difficulties and that have ended up ending their life because of it it's a it's a serious subject It's a very difficult subject. It's a subject that's important that we talk about. And for Lewis to come on only 14 months after we tragically lost Caroline shows what a brave young man he is and how he's been able to deal with that, the difficulties of that, how he was able to deal with being in the spotlight you know, one in the relationship, but then having to grieve whilst in the spotlight. And he would put a lot of those skills that he's learned down to his tennis. And in his tennis that many of you might not know, Lewis was a fantastic tennis player. He got as high as 218 in the world in doubles, 626 in singles. He was a junior Wimbledon finalist in the doubles in 2010. And then he stopped playing tennis age 22 to start a modelling career and also to set up his own business in the trading world. 
And again, the connection between doing those things and the success that he's had and the ability to deal with the disappointments that he's had will all link back to this amazing sport that is tennis. Lewis was incredibly honest throughout the chat. He was extremely respectful for anything that was talked about around Caroline, rightly so. And I know that you guys will thoroughly enjoy getting to know Lewis a little bit better through this podcast. And I hope you enjoy it. Lewis is a good friend of mine. And I'm delighted to bring you Lewis Burton. So Lewis Burton, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing, young man? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on. Um, really appreciate it, mate. I appreciate you turning up this morning. It's been, uh, you've not been, <laughs> every every morning that we've had planned over the last six months to the listeners, <clears throat> all of a sudden I've, I've received a message that morning. Hey, mate, and I'm thinking, oh, God, here we, here we go again. So finally I've... I've ta- this morning as well, and I thought, no, I can't let him down again. <laughs> now that we've got the listeners listening, do you have any legitimate reasons why you why you kept cancelling or uh, you know what's going last, on here last week, I, last week i was a little bit ill but other than that probably a little bit nervous <laughs> nothing to be nervous on it and like i say the listeners have definitely been waiting to hear this you know we've got a big tennis tennis following and you know i did mention six months ago we've got lewis burton coming on next week and you know we've just been teasing them a little bit so so finally got you on and i guess my first question burts is how you doing you know obviously it's been a it's been a, an incredibly challenging year for everyone you know global pandemic and, and then obviously the much publicized difficulties that you've gone through in your personal life you know how how, how are you doing now yeah, right. Do you know what? I'm doing really good. I mean, yeah, weird, weirdly, I'm probably the one of the happiest I've been in probably in my life at the minute. Good. But do, do you know what? I think, like, look, I mean, coronavirus obviously has ter- been terrible for so many people, but I haven't actually kind of minded it. I mean, it's kind of, if, if I'm looking at it like a selfish sort of, selfish way, I mean, it's kind of benefited me a lot. I mean, obviously, just before that, I went through, yeah, a pretty tough time in my life. And then that kind of, happened it kind of took everything um all the heat off of me and then and it kind of makes people you know what it's kind of made people focus i mean you've been with family i've been focused on my business more you can't go out so there's no distractions um so for me it's it's actually helped me um a lot obviously i don't want to stay in it lockdown forever but i yeah. think that year i mean i mean this last lockdown has been a bit bit tougher in in the uk but yeah apart from that i've I've kind of enjoyed it. You, you spend quality time with people that you you probably wouldn't when if you're out and about. Um, you focus on your business. You focus on stuff that focus on stuff you wouldn't get done otherwise. Yeah. And do, do you worry though that like I guess we'll all have this this period. We've been a, a slightly luckier, I think, in Spain, but almost getting used to the remote way of being and and spending so much time with loved ones and then how different that was to your life let's say 18 months ago where every time you walked out out the door there's a cameraman there there's these things kind of kicking off do you, do you worry that you might have some anxieties going back almost into a real world once it all opens yeah, up again you know i had this conversation with a few people i mean I'm quite an outgoing person and then, it, and, and yeah, I mean, 
you think bloody hell going out back in the real world you've got to talk to people in a bar or and, and it does it made, it made me feel a little bit weird so it's obviously a tough time for people getting back out there but again i think people go back to the normal lives very quickly i mean i mean look everyone's wearing a face mask now it's like kind of the norm if we yeah. said that a year ago everyone would be like bloody hell stuff's the norm very quickly but yeah it's, it's, it's a difficult time everyone i think but everything that you've ever done is also involved traveling you know so if we're and we're going to go through all of that today you know you've been a professional tennis player that involves traveling probably 30 weeks a year you know you've you've got your modeling career which has taken you to the maldives taking you to many different traveling places you've then got your trading business, which again, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get into. And I'm sure the tennis world, they could have got Lewis Burton's running his own bloody business. What the, what, what the hell's happened to Burt's over the last few years? And then, and then also I know that you're, you're involved in the, in the art world to a degree, which, you know, the shows that are happening in Marbella, New York, LA, these different places. So I guess you're kind of in business to, businesses that rely on travel do you think that some of those things can be done a bit more remotely or do you think it will be normal service resumed on flights and off you go again no i mean i, I can't wait to travel again i mean I'm, I'm not one of them one of these people that just can sit in one one place i mean so that's why i have struggled a little bit this last time because you because you literally can't travel and then i like yeah i like maybe going away once here you know i like marbella i'm always down there um but yeah, mate, hopefully that, that will go back to normal. I mean, because obviously if my, my businesses and my interests, it, it, it's a lot to do with traveling and events, networking. So I mean, me personally, I, I, I want it to go back to normal pretty soon. Um, and hopefully by the 17th of May, we can, well, I can get out to Spain to see you, hopefully. And to take you back, Bert, I mean, we I first came across you probably when you were already playing professional tennis. So I, I wasn't that close to your early days in tennis. And, and what I've asked every guest that's come on here is where that tennis passion started for you. And I know you're a Kent boy, so I would imagine it was back in the, back in the, somewhere in, in Kent. Uh, maybe, maybe it was where the old uh, coronavirus variant Probably started as well. County Kent, eh? the Garden of England. I, I would never know Durham and Cleveland. We've never come across you. We've always just kind no, of looked up at you squad. in the higher divisions. We're a good squad. So, so like, where where did it begin? Um, where did it begin? I mean, I didn't start playing tennis till about seven. John, I think my family just—I mean, we played every sport when we were younger. It's one of them. Never forget, my brother was playing tennis down at Bexley with uh, Craig Allen. Um, did his brother start with Craig, did he? Yeah, and then like, we were playing football tennis, all, all the same sort of sports. And then I just kind of joined in at the end of his sessions and then kind of went from there, really. Um, he And then my brother kind of didn't didn't really enjoy it. He, he, he went down the football route and then I kind of carried on with Craig when I was seven and and yeah, just started playing. And then I, I signed into a few tournaments, like the county clothes under 10s, got smoked. I think I lost a few love and loves. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget, I lost love and love to Joe Salisbury once and Betty. Oh, Dan did you? Oh, mate, I had a shocker, mate. <laughs> and I was at 11, I was thinking, what am I doing here? It was on the clay, it was no, it was, it was on the indoor clay at, um, at Goslin. Never forget. And then I was thinking, oh, sod this. I just, and then, but you know what? I just carried on. And then under 12s county clothes, I won the under 12s county clothes. Is it under 12s or under 14s? One of them. You win that tournament, you half think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm half decent at this sport. And kind of went from there, really. 
And yeah, I done. I think I done two days a week at the LTA. Went to Loughborough, a couple of days a week, and yeah, started doing it more, more full time. Playing tournaments, all the, all the junior is it the is it the TE tournaments? You traveling to Europe? Yeah, tennis was my sport. Isn't it interesting though that you you won the county closed, and you thought you were half decent? And and where I'm going with this is, I think this happens with all of us in the sport of tennis we then go to the next level and we then we lose a couple of matches and we think we're no good anymore. Mm. And it's like, you know, just that perspective of, of hearing, you know, this 11, 20, 12 year old lad who, you know, is relatively fresh on the scene, you know, wins the, wins the local County close and has, has a bit of a swag all of a sudden that like, yeah, look, you know, look at me. And then, and then along those different stages, we get those knockbacks along the way yeah, as well. You know what? It's good. You, know, you put it now. I mean, tennis is very clicky. I mean, yep. when in Kent, there was like these boys that were that were good, like the Simon Briggs and all them sort of guys, and they were kind of stuck together. And I was like a little outsider. So when, and it was yeah, I mean, if you beat these boys, it means you were a good player, you know. But in the grand scheme of things, it, it means nothing. But I, th- I remember I beat him. I beat Simon Briggs in the semi-finals. Is he the journalist now? I don't know. There's a Simon Briggs who's a journalist. Maybe. And then I beat Luke Bate up in the final. And these boys are like the, the 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 boys at the time. And that's obviously gave him big confidence. And I thought, right, let's uh, let's give this sport a go. <laughs> and 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 I, and again I want to take you back. So Craig Allen, you know, and I think we need to give Craig a shout out. He literally put a racket in your hand, did he? Yeah, Craig, I'll never forget. He's uh it's funny what you what you think. I, I drove down to Bexley Tennis Club and he was sitting there on the bench with his top off, he's only young. How was he? Uh, yeah, and then um, and yeah, and my mum was like, "Look, I want to, I want my son. Well, my brother at the time wanted to do some tennis lessons, and then Craig was the man. I mean, that, and that was it. And then so, so Craig, Craig taught me from yeah, taught me how to play tennis. And then Rob Smith was, it was like him and Rob Smith that kind of had the Bromley Tennis Academy. They had a it was they were at Bexley Tennis to start, and then went to Bromley Tennis Academy, and they kind of run that show there. So I was kind of with them. That must have been a nice moment when you played at Wimbledon for the first time. I, I, I'm sure Craig would have been there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Craig loved that. I think Wimbledon first time I had to qualify as a junior. Yeah, I don't know how old, well, I must have been 16. Yeah. I, played, uh, I played the qualities at Roehampton. But I beat some good guys. I beat, uh, I think he plays doubles now. Is it McLaggen, McLaughlin? Yeah, yeah, Ben from New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, I beat him last round qualies. No, actually, I beat him first round qualies, and then I beat um, yeah lefty guy from Austria, Austria, and then I quite obviously qualified, and that was um yeah that was a big achievement for me. I mean, when you qualify for these tournaments, it feels like obviously it's great getting a wild card and having that opportunity, but when you qualify, you feel like you actually deserve to be at that place. Yeah. Well, I, I birds tell you a quick story. I when I qualified, so when I was in my last year, eighteens. I was, it used to be a separate doubles and singles ITF ranking. So I was top 10 in the world in doubles, but I was, let's say, 100, 150 in singles or whatever. So I, and because I was going to US college, that was deemed as giving up at the time. So it was like, oh, Keenan's going to US college. He's done. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. It was like, you know, stick a fork in him. So they gave back that year, they gave five wild cards back to the All England Club because they couldn't really justify giving it to somebody 
other than me because my ranking was so much higher than everybody's. And so I played qualies. I got into qualies on my own ranking and I qualified. And I'm not proud of this, but I shouted out at the top of my voice, shove your effing wildcard up your arse. <laughs> As, a, as I qualified on an indoor, it was actually, it was raining. So we'd moved from Roehampton to indoor court at Chiswick. Um, but yeah, that old testosterone as a, as a yeah. youngster, you know, was certainly strong. And, and, and obviously I've changed my views on that. Nobody's entitled to a wild card and all of those things. But at the time, it was certainly a very nice feeling, like you say, to do it on your own right. No, it is. I mean, it was like, yeah, that was one of the best feelings. Um, and I think I played the year after. No, Joe, you know I won around that year. I beat um, Matthias Borg, is it? Yeah, yeah, good player. All these boys still playing, apart from me. Yeah, how does that? Because again, and, and I, I actually, one thing I jotted down when you told the story a minute ago was I just wrote down Joe Salisbury because I guess he's similar age to you. And, yeah, he, and you know, the reason why, mate, he was good under 12, so he's obviously okay. brilliant now. But he was always, he's always been pretty good. But he wasn't yeah, as good at you at 17, 18. So you obviously yeah. overtook him. Yeah. Uh, did he go? He went to college though, didn't he? he? He went he went to college, but I mean you were you were making final of, of junior Wimbledon, you know, in, in the juniors. Joe Salisbury certainly wasn't that level. And I want to get yeah. to the Wimbledon thing in a minute, but when you do look and go, bloody hell, he's winning grand slams now. He's winning grand slams. Yeah, do you know what though, right? So they went to university and they'd come out and like they're, they're starting their career. So do you know what? I can almost say that I've had a longer tennis career than him. Well, not now, but like yeah. I'm, I'm playing futures at 16, 15, 16. I mean, I think I got my first point at 15 at Cumberland. But I mean, I'm and then I've obviously stopped when I'm 22, but I'm having like a, that's a seven, eight year playing career. I mean, it's a long time and, and you're still, and, you, and you're basically just starting out sort of thing. Yeah. And then you get these boys come out of college, like when they're 25, 26, and they're basically just starting. It's kind of, they're fresh. I mean, it was almost like I was old and done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not. So I should be like, this is where I should be, have, this, have the experience and then push on. But I kind of looked at it the other way. It was like, oh, bloody hell, I've been around, been around a, a long while. But what um, you've just said there, Bert, is the biggest advert for US college that you could ever have. Yeah. I mean, it's great because, yeah, I mean, I think I think US college is brilliant. I mean, the amount of matches you play, um, the pressures you have, and then, then obviously you've got schooling as well on top of that. And then if, if you're good enough at 25, 24, you, at 24, 25, you come in and then give, give the tennis world a proper go and you're more mature, you know? I mean... Yeah, f- physically seven, and mentally. Yeah. I mean, it's a massive difference. But then, obviously, you can you can miss out of making it when you're young, you know. So, swing some roundabouts. But there's a, there's a very few people, I think, that make it when they're 17, 18, 19, you know. Um, yes, but I think especially on the on the male side, Bert. So I think if you, I was actually speaking to Dave Samuel about this yesterday, and it was it was a good conversation. What Dave was saying, obviously, Liam Brody's doing fantastically well right now, and it's like the way that he said it was Liam now age 26 is finally acting like a 26 year old. Whereas if you take like a, a Yannick Sinner who's coming through now age 19, he's already acting like a 26, 27 year old. 
you know, Dan Evans, it took Dan until he was 27, 28 to start really acting like a 27, 28 year old. And it just seems to me that, that the British system going up through the years from your era, my era, I think it's changing a little bit now. It was almost like if you aren't ranked X, Y, or Z age 22, then, then actually you're done. Whereas actually what we're seeing is regardless of someone's actual biological age, the, the maturity age physically and, and emotionally yeah. is probably towards the, the, the late twenties. And it's just the odd freakish young person who, who has that emotional age. Most of us just act our age or yeah, sometimes younger. What's the top, I think I see a stat not so long ago, like the top hundred, how many people are over 30 or something? Yeah. Is it hundred or top 50? Well, Fed, he's like bloody 39, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Does that give you regret when you look? Like, are you living in any way now going, that could be me, I wish I'd, I wish that was me? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I played tennis this morning with Rob Smith and then that's, that's yeah. I didn't um, maximise my ability. I mean, I probably, I, I think, I'm, yeah, I won like over 30 futures, doubles, yeah, I didn't maximise. I mean, to this day, it's gutting. And I felt, I was, even up until probably last year, I always had a thing. I think, should I, I, I get out to Sotan yeah. and give it a go? But obviously, it's one thing thinking it and there's another thing doing it because it's obviously not that easy. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I was 22. I stopped. It was, yeah, really stupid, really. Um, I don't really, I don't really know why I stopped, but then it's probably get, it comes back to that reason. I, I felt like I've, I've played 10, 20 years, yeah. and it's like at, at the same level, and it's like you probably need a bit, bit of direction. I mean, like, I'm stuck in futures. I'm, I'm winning like, like every futures I'm signing into, whoever like if I was playing with Evo Willis, I'd win the tournament. It's like when do you, when uh, am I too young? Am I young uh, too young to say right? Let's start playing the challenges now. But you play them tournaments because your mates are in them tournaments. And you think it's easy, right? I'm kind of like a big dog in this bloody Wirral yeah. 15k. You know what I mean? When yeah. really you should put yourself out there, right? I'm that, I'm too good for this tournament now. Let's let's push on to the next level. But that's one thing that I kind of regret. That I just sat around the same level, winning, happy winning them tournaments. Yeah. When if you kind of did go to the challenges and then the ATPs quick, I mean you played the odd one, but yeah, I'll maybe still be playing. Maybe I don't know, because you could, obviously you got to win at that level. And then once you lose, say if you lose at the quarters of a challenge or semis, it kind of it's, it's a good week, but you're not winning. I mean, in futures I was winning, so it's like it's kind of psychological. Yeah. Oh, you think you might have a good week, but then you kind of are. That's the hard thing about tennis as well. You're playing thirty weeks. You might not win one. You know, might not win any tournaments, but you might be two hundred in the world. That's what people don't realise. You lose every single week, unless you're, I don't know. I, I was at Marbella um, ATP event last week and I was watching this guy and he, he was in a match. He was, it was in the second round. Gombos, the guy from Slovakia. And as I was watching, I, I felt him, you know, like it, it's a tennis player's thing. You can see when someone like just wants it. You can, you can feel the emotion from them. And I was like, I'm going to, it was, it was, it already was in a three hour match and I could see, and I could see his coach as well. And I was like, they want this badly, like badly. So I had a little look 
and and so far that year he'd played eight tournaments, no, seven tournaments, and he'd won one match, and we're in the middle of April, right? He'd won one whole tennis match in three and a half months, and he he had match point at six five in the third, missed an easy forehand, and I and I, I literally wanted to go and give him a hug, like I could feel. <laughs> You want to do it for him? <laughs> well, not my forehand, but you know, I'm not sure I'd give him your forehand either. But maybe we give him somebody. <laughs> but but he he literally and and fair play to the lad. He ended up winning the tiebreak and he won six in the third, and he celebrated as if he'd won Wimbledon. You know, and it's that that like that raw emotion and that difficulty and that the challenges and the doubts and the fears and the, you know, those are all the things that, like you say, we can sit here on the podcast. I can tell you and wax lyrical about your serve and your volleys and you could have been a top 20 player in the world because you could have, if everything went, went to plan. However, to go through all of that for so many years is a massive skill and attribute that I completely tip my hat to the guys that have done it. And yeah. I think sometimes we just brush over that in our sport. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, it's funny you saying that he hasn't won a match. I mean, I was I was like that one year. I mean, I didn't win. The, the OTA were doing a trip and they were doing a six-week trip in in uh, South America. God knows why I went there on the clay. I mean, I'm <laughs> hustling with these boys. I won one match, I think, that year. And then, yeah, I think I won one match there. And I was like, oh, my God, like confidence hit rock bottom. And then Wimbledon was coming up. I think I was probably maybe 18. Confidence, obviously, lying in the wild. Uh, is it pre uh, pre qualies Wimbledon? And do you know what I've done? Like, it's very weird. I went to see a hypnotherapist. Right. Okay. Um, and well, like, my mum, my mum was like, "Why don't you like go and see someone?" I was like, All right. "So I went in, and then I was like, look, I want to, um, I want to like, win Wimbledon.' <laughs> yeah, I want to work, work on my confidence." Blah, blah, blah. Like, who, who sent you? I was like, "My mum." And she's like, "No, no, you got to leave. Like, you, you got to come when you." actually want to want to work on the stuff that you do you know what I mean so then seeing it cut, cut long so short went to see this person then I ended up uh, pre-qualifying for I'm not saying it was because of this but I mean I literally had no confidence well won one match all year then I ended up beating Paul Flea and Willis at a wildcard uh, pre-qualifying at Wimby and then played Dustin Brown first round right so, but it's good it is but it's that's where I think and where tennis sits in the context of all of our lives is, is I guess one of my, one of my big philosophies. And it's certainly where, where I'd like to go with our conversation as well today, because it's like those sort of skills, that resilience, that ability to, to take the knocks and then just to make like a minor adjustment because, you know, we always know, and I, I, I share on, on the watch. Cause you kind of never know when the, when you're going to turn that corner. It might not be, but then it, it might happen at like the best time. But it's just obviously sticking it out, like you said. Yeah, no, and timing, and you know yeah. all of those sort of things. But yeah, we're, we're in we're in a sport. I mean, I saw one the other day, Riley Opelka, the big big dude serving yeah. serving cannons, beat Medvedev, but won forty four percent of the points. Yes, yeah, crazy, man. So it's like. It's it's a completely mental sport, you know. That that actually, you know, the 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 change can happen so so quick, you know. You got it's money as well. I mean, if you're losing every every week, your skin in you as well. So I don't know how these boys keep playing. Are you are you at peace at your tennis career? Uh, I mean, I accept it now, but 
I don't I know I didn't max out, but then do you know what's just funny? Like obviously I'm I, I play at Queens now and I won I won the tournament there. You kind of do like you appreciate it more after. I mean, all these like little tournaments that I do, like I played Rice, like invitational tournament, you kind of really appreciate them. So like if you win these sort of stuff, it feels like you're achieving that you you've achieved something. Yes, it's a hard one. But yeah, I'm, I mean I pre I appreciate it more now when I'm playing, even like little stuff like NCL or like I'm actually buzzing to play on a Sunday. Like normally, I'd be like, "Blood, sod this." So, would you regard your tennis playing career as successful? <sighs> um, no. Well, you made final of a junior oh, grand yeah, slam. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I've, 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 I've had massive achievements. I mean, final of junior Wimbledon, walking out on number one court, seeing my mum, seeing my mum and dad, and my family up there. I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't beat that. But yeah, should I done more? Yes, hundred percent. But I've got I've got stuff that 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 people always dream that that people dreamed of doing, you know. So it swings and roundabouts. So how much is then? Because I want you to think about this a different way, if you can. How much has your tennis playing career helped the next phase of your life in, into your modelling, into your running of a business? Into having having a, a successful, happy life that you're that you that you have started to build over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, without I mean, to be honest, without playing tennis at that, that this level, I wouldn't have achieved anything. What I'm set out to what what I'm trying to do now. I mean, tennis has helped my life better than anything, any school, anything. Do you know what I mean? Being in you know, like I said, South America and all that sort of stuff, fighting playing matches I mean this is just for everyday life it's kind of easy now not easy obviously you still have your stresses and your struggles but it's yeah it's helped me massively it's one of the best best thing the best thing I've ever done because because I just think sometimes birds that that bit sometimes when we think of success of tennis people straight away go to rankings or or tournament wins or but actually I think, and I guess what I'm trying to do a little bit with this podcast is is just try and get people to think a little bit more about maybe where where tennis fits into the context of their lives, you know, and, you know, somebody taking tennis, you played till 22, was that the right or wrong decision? Who knows? But it certainly, I don't think, can be deemed as the wrong decision because you've used that platform to go on and create fantastic networks and open up opportunities and, you know, the skills that you've picked up through your tennis playing career has then equated to, to other success measures. I don't know if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's been unbelievable for me. I mean, yeah, me and you have, yeah, I mean, you have so you meet so many people around the world. I mean, even like communication skills, like, yeah, I mean, you know, it is, I mean, we, you can put, you can put us in any room and we're, and we'd be fine. Yeah. Well, any situation in life, you, you'd be you'll be okay. I mean, because we've had our struggles, and then the ups and downs in tennis is pretty hard, which obviously people don't realise. And then yeah, it makes you fight harder on the outside world, I guess. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I did kind of stop as well. Because like, say for instance, I'm 29 now, and or people stopping playing tennis, what are they going to do with with their career? That's a, that was a massive thing for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm lucky now that I've got my own business. And I've got a few other things that I do, but that's one thing. I was 22. Imagine you don't make it, you don't make that money. What, you're just going to be a tennis coach, obviously. No, nothing against being a tennis coach, but 
it's that's kind of the easy thing, to, easy route to go down. But yeah. you kind of want. I mean, I want to be successful in life. So you, you stop at twenty nine. You now you've you're starting from scratch. You've got no money. You're living at home. Got no kids, family. That's a, that was a massive thing for me, to be honest with you. That's probably one of the, one of the other reasons why I kind of I stopped because you see all these other people with yeah kids, families, houses, going on holidays, successful, and then we're hustling, earning earning nothing, and then and then what happens when you stop? Where do you go? I think there's there's two things I want to pick up on there, Bert. One. Just a, a slight challenge on the word successful because I think I think there's some guys out there on the tour that are 39 still hustling, 40, 41. And and I guess for those guys, for their own individual lives, that is successful. So I, I don't want people listening to the podcast to be put off going on that journey, you oh, know. Yeah. And 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 the second thing that in question that I want to ask you. So I can take you back now six and a half years and you have a decision to continue playing tennis or not, knowing what you now know, what's the decision? Yeah, I mean, I've got to get ready to go, haven't I? I'll play, yeah, I'll play for sure. Okay. By the way, I can't do that. I don't have that power. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. For sure you can. Because, yeah. Because even, yeah, I mean, for sure you play. I mean, it's my life. It's your, your dream. My, your, my dream was to be a successful tennis player. Obviously, I didn't achieve that dream. I mean, yeah, I and mean, then stuff like in business, what I'm chasing now, like, it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's good. And then hopefully one day I'll, I'll have a nice, nice life. But I mean, the ten, yeah, tennis is always number one. I mean, yeah, if I had the maturity now and, and knowing what I knew, yeah, 100%. Are you chasing the buzz? Do you, have you ever been able to replace that buzz of winning tennis matches? Like, if you go back to you winning semi-finals at Wimbledon Juniors to to get into the into the final, is that buzz possible through business? Yeah, I mean, because you know yeah, I mean, it's like sales, you, you yeah, I mean, you you win a big contract or you, yeah, every day I'm building my business, so that's that's kind of the buzz. I yeah. get up and it's mine, you know. Got, yeah, I've got business partners, but yeah, I, I mean, it's a different buzz, but yeah, it's still, it's, it's still good fun. I mean, my, yeah, if you if you bring in a big deal, I mean, that's a that's a buzz. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's not the same, but it, it keeps me going. I have to at this point, I guess, because we're talking, but people listening are going, they're talking about this bloody business. What the hell's this business? So, so tell us a little bit about the business that you're that you're in now. I mean, when I stopped playing tennis, I I kind of went on a trading course, uh, like, like trading the, the markets, and then and then yeah, so I was doing that for about two years after I stopped playing tennis, and then my business partner now we we kind of see an opportunity that there's a there's a space for education and and people that want to want to trade. So we kind of set up a business about five years ago now. We do kind of like. It's, yeah, it's like wealth management. I mean, my business partner used to be. I've got two business partners. One was um, one was a he was a trader at Barclays Wealth, and my other guy was just uh, he was a footballer. And then we kind of set this business up. It's like an education sort of business where, yeah, I mean, we teach we teach people any anyone in uh, how to trade. We have online courses, yeah, anything from online 
to to in person and then if if they if they come through our program we can then we can then give them a job or we we give them like to to like a trading company up london yeah straightforward business but i mean yeah. just got another investor in now that's kind of she's she's going to hopefully take our business to the next level she wants to take it around the world so it's exciting times um but yeah effectively it's just teaching people how to trade we trade on people's behalves and it seems like so i've i've never said this on a certain on a, on a podcast before but when i when i stopped playing i i started betting you know and i de- and i had a and i had a period in my life where i gambled too much you know and it was a short period you know it was probably a 6 12 month period and my reflection on that is i was i was searching for something to fill the void that that was left from not playing professional tennis anymore you know and we hear about this a lot with with sports people that they're they're looking to fill that fill that void and and i guess trading i i'm i'm not a trader i don't know trading but it seems to me that it's a form of gambling it's a form of betting in yeah. some ways do you think that's why that was such a good fit for you as well a little bit i mean but joe you know i wanted to earn money i wanted to yeah, I wanted to have money, so I'm kind of chasing the money. I see these boys driving, driving in in bloody Ferraris, and I was like, "Look, I want that," because obviously playing tennis, that's one of the reasons why you stop as well, because you, yeah. you haven't got that money. So then, I've done really well for over the last two years trading, and then again, the tennis helps because a, a lot of sports people are good, good traders, psychological. So yeah, I was I, I done quite done very well, but it's more to do with like the money side. I kind of wanted to earn that money. Good thing about trading, you can do it anywhere in the world. You, you, you're your own boss, so you can kind of. I still had the, I, st- I still could do what I wanted because obviously it's tough when you're playing tennis. You, you're your own boss as well, so you stop and then you got to kind of work for someone. I was like, look, I can't do this, so I had to work out what I wanted to do, and then I kind of fell into fell into this. So have you got the Ferrari yet, or? Nah. Oh no. <laughs> I'd like to get a nice house first and have a family, I think, before I, before I go down that sort of route. That's like a midlife crisis sort of route, isn't it? <laughs> if you've got the money, you've yeah. got, you, you got to have the money as well, you know. I want to I pull you back because I guess doing what you're doing as well, linking the, linking the trading and I guess helping people, it's also then understanding. You've mentioned Craig, you've mentioned Rob. In terms of coach and someone that really impacted you as a coach you don't have, you can say a name or you don't have to say a name but what you as a tennis player what were you looking from from that coach um what was i looking from from that coach do you know what I, I, yeah just direction i think for me um i just needed someone to direct me and and, and because there's a lot there was like i said I was I was on a, a trip to South America on the clay. I mean, now I wouldn't do that. So I, I, I wanted someone that would basically take me under the wing and be like, right, this is what you this is this is what you should do, sort of thing. Because I, I didn't have that knowledge and been, oh, yeah, I wasn't smart enough and mature enough to be like, right, my game style is coming to the net, being very aggressive. I'm not going to do that on in Paraguay, am I? on the clay, the red clay. So I just wanted that direction and someone, yeah, someone just telling me what to do sort of thing. Did they, I, I, I guess, so if I, let's say I'm your coach and I decide, right, 
Bert, Bert can be a player. He's fantastic coming forward. You know, he serves big, but he, he just, he checks out the point a little bit, you know, doesn't quite, doesn't quite have strong enough base to his game. You know, if he's going to be a top hundred player, he's also going to have to get into some of those rallies. It's not what he's looking to do, but he's going to have to have that kind of mental edge to know that he's comfortable with the ball in play, you know, blah, blah, whatever it might be. I'm just trying to kind of build the story. And I then say to you, right, Bert, this is what we're going to look to do for this reason, <laughs> for this reason, for this purpose, in to try and to try and build a little bit more base level, toughen you up a little bit mentally. You know, have to deal with some of these these RGs that are calling the ball out and creating ball marks with their foot as they walk past the line, and you know all of this sort of stuff. Do you think that would then help you understand maybe a little bit more where? why you would go off to South America for six weeks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, that, that could be an argument, but then, but I just think like now, I mean, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, you'd stick on the fast stuff. You, you'd build your game. You know what I mean? You'd be, you'd have your proper game identity. I mean, sometimes you go out there, you know, I'm starting, now I'm grinding from the back or something. Like even, yeah, I mean, so, so if I went out there, not saying it's a bad thing, but you play your game, I play my game. So it's just like knowing what I was doing and someone telling me, right, this is how you play. Yeah. You do that every time you go on court. It was a bit like all over the shop. I was for for a while until, I mean, yeah, I mean, I come to you, 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 you help me out a lot when I come to Soto. It gives you that, that yeah clear thought process of what how how I play. So I mean now I now I'm now I go on the court, I know I'm playing. I'm not gonna yep. be grinding from the back. But I mean back in the day it's like one minute I'm, I'm trying to make 30, 40 balls <laughs> and the next minute I'm just trying to come to the net, take time away from them, be unpredictable. I mean that's how I should have played. And I, and I just wish someone told me that from young or just yeah. Did you, uh, I, I do have a, a question in my mind on that. Did you ever choose after after Craig and Rob and then you moved into, I guess, more of a, an LTA funding system, did you ever choose your coach? No, never. Um, did I choose him? No, I, I was I was with Arv, quite, uh, Arvin Palmer. Yeah. He helped me a little bit. Um yeah, I mean, that, that's another thing. I mean, you, you didn't really have a set coach for ages. So it's like you'd have a coach for like three, four months and then you, you then they'd throw you in another one. So I'd Arvin Palmer and then I'd Beach for a little bit. And then one of the good, one of the coaches that helped me the most is probably Magnus Tiedemann. Yep. He, was, he was great. And I was with him for a long, for quite a while, actually. He you had him on the podcast, actually. Did you? Yeah, he was excellent, yeah. He was brilliant because... Um, you could tell he wanted, he, he he kind of, he liked me and he wanted me to do well and he, he, that come across. He kind of didn't really, not say he didn't go with the system, but he kind of didn't care. And he was like, right, this is how I'm going to do it, whether you like it or not. And I like that. Um, and when he was on the side of the court, you knew he was there for you. It's not like some of these, look, I don't want to bad mouth any coaches, but I mean, it, it felt like sometimes people were just protecting their job of like right, I'm I'm playing this tournament now. I want you on the side of court when I'm when I'm a bit down or so. I look over. That's when I've got that trust in this in the coach that I'm with. And Mago is always very good like that. And how long did you work with Mago for? I think over a year. Okay. And why did that stop? I think he got released by the LTA. 
Mm. I think yeah, I think Arv, I think Arvin Palmer got released by DLT as well. I think that's why I stopped with him. Um, and yeah, I think Mago when he set away or something. And the reason I ask, and, and I guess why I, I like to push these buttons, I absolutely am not like. Uh, let's all slag off uh, a British tennis system or let's all slag off a federation. You know, I just want people to learn from mistakes, you know, and, and in your era, I've had you, I've had Evo and I've had Marcus Willis on the podcast and all three of you have said the same, you know, and if I then go back to my era, it was the same as well. You know, I've got, I'm kind of 10 years back from you. It was the same. You know, I never picked my coach. I never really had a connection with a coach. I didn't really have someone who I felt that was working towards my way of playing. You know, I was doing two cross courts, two cross one line for two and a half hours every day. And, and I wanted to be finished the point at the net, you know, and I just... I just really hope, and, and and this is listened to, this podcast is listened to in 106 countries now. So this is not even a British thing. I just really hope tennis players and coaches around the world uh, are listening to these messages and going, do you know what? We need to find and spend more time getting to know the person. We need to get spend more time getting to know the the attributes and the way that this player wants to wants to go. And then then it's about going on that journey and having accountability together. <laughs> you know, we're we're in this together, and it and it just feels like too many times over the years that that hasn't been in place. Yeah, you're spot on, spot on there. Um, but then again, obviously the, the LTA have helped because they fund you and all that. But it's kind of there's no point funding someone if the other if the other thing's not right. Um, but obviously, I appreciate that because without without kind of them, I wouldn't have been able to travel and play. So again, there's two there's two sides to the story. But yeah, I mean, like you said, there needs to be more more people that kind of understand the player and where they yeah. want to go and. and yeah, and for the player to really feel that they're because you, you're traveling with this coach, so it's kind of you see them more than your family. So you've got to trust your coach when you look on the side of the court when you're four in the third. You've got to know that this coach really wants it, he's not just there to pick up the money. Yep. So, a bit of fun, but if this is if this is crap then guess what we'll do? We'll just edit it out and no one will ever know. And if it actually, and if it works, we'll keep it in. But Johnny O'Mara was on last week and I quite liked, he said something off air. He said, do you know what you should do, Keno? He said, you should do like a, like a fantasy football and how you get like a certain amount to spend on, you know, your goalkeeper, you get a certain amount to spend on your squad and how you would bring it together. So we're talking here, Lewis Burton picking his perfect coach. Okay. You have what well, I pick, pick, have to pick people's people's. No, I'm going to give you an attribute. You have 45 points to spend because I'm going to also see what your trading brain's like here. See if you see what your maths is like, Bert. Yeah, and you've got seven attributes to give a score out of 10. Yeah, okay. so if you go for Go for four tens, you've got five points left for the next three attributes. So you've got to spread it around. And so you know in advance, we've got connection, personal connection. I'll write this down. You can write it down. You've got personal connection, number one. <clears throat> you've got technical knowledge, tactical knowledge, mindset knowledge, and physical knowledge, playing ability, and communication skills. And you've got you've got forty five points, and you've got to give a score. 
for all of those seven attributes of your coach? Mm. Um, all right, we go. We go connection and personal. We go f- no, yeah, connection. We go five. Communication skills. We go five. And then the others, I'd give seven. Does that add up to forty-five? I think it does. It adds up to forty-five. Okay, that's interesting. So maybe technical knowledge, you could go uh, go less. Maybe a five, and then you put mindset up to nine. Maybe. Okay. I reckon if I asked most tennis players that, they would have personal connection and communication skills much higher. It's interesting. Really? Yeah, it's interesting. But then that's not gonna that's not gonna help you in a tennis match. But if you don't have it's, the it's personal connection. Fighters, you still it's still gotta be but at the end of the day, you yeah, I mean yeah, that's that's me. Hey, hey who who am yeah, I to yeah, argue? Communication and connection, I mean, is that gonna make make you win win more? For me, probably not. So if you don't have a personal connection with the coach you're working with and they don't have good communication skills, how are they going to get their messages across and how are they going to be received by yourself, even if they have fantastic knowledge? Because you've got to appreciate their knowledge. Good ownership. Yeah, this geezer can't talk to me properly, but fucking hell, he knows knows what he's talking about. (laughs) So you just take it on board. So you, so now, so you need Louis Kaya. You need Louis Kaya as your coach. I work, I work very well with Louis Kaya. Mate, you appreciate what he's got. Yes, he's not, you can't talk to me like you, but bloody hell, the geezer knows what he's talking about. So everything he says, you take on board. It depends. If you want to be wrapped up in cotton wool, then yeah, do communication skills, but you've got your family for that, haven't you? <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to another part of your life, Bert's. And I and I have to understand how such an ugly dude like yourself um, actually actually went into the world of modelling. So I I've heard the story I'm sure before, but it's a story that you've got to tell us on the podcast. How did that first come about? Um, I was a uh, Boxing Day. I was I went to a restaurant. I thought um, last minute thing. Ordered a lovely start. I think I ordered some mussels. I never forget. And then I had this, the, there was like a loud table and this woman that like walked past and I was thinking, who the hell is this? And it was almost like she was walking into a, um, like the door. And I was like, that's a bit weird. She come over to the table. She was like, get up. Not, no hello, nothing. I was like, fucking hell, who's this? <laughs> I was like, I thought, ah, oh. you know, I got up. And she's like, you're tall, aren't you? I was like, yeah. I was like, great. And then she gave me a card. She was like, I, I own Select, blah, blah, blah. She was like, come up on the 5th of January. I was like, really? And that was it. She took all of the, all the, the select crew out and they were at the same restaurant. They all come over, introduce herself. And kind of that was it, really. Didn't say hello. She just went, get up. Unbelievable. And then, I mean, yeah, I mean, she's, I mean, lovely people. They're like a mini family. I mean, they've been there for me for, for everything, really. But uh, 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 an extremely good-looking man like myself, if I wanted somebody to see me at my best... It wouldn't be on Boxing Day. I tell you what, Boxing Day is not the day that I would select. So, so I tell you, if they were picking you on Boxing Day, they must have really liked your look. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, must have been wearing something nice that day. 
and how's that again? And, and again, I want to, I guess, connect everything back to the tennis. You know, how's how's the modeling world compared no, that's, to the uh, tennis modeling, world? Modeling world's hard. Yeah. But again, it helps having the tennis. I mean, because then it, it, you can have you can open conversations. I mean, you always a good tennis player. What you, so then you go and meet these clients. They love sport. They love tennis. And when you're good at it, it kind of helps. I mean, look, and it's many, like like you said, there's so many good looking people out there like you. Exactly. So you've got to be, you've got to have something a bit different. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's loads of guys that look like me. So when you're going in to meet these clients and you start talking about your background and, and they love it, mate. They're like, buddy, oh, and then they then they look you up and they're like, wow, you're you're pretty good. And that kind of it kind of that, that sells me. Yeah. But I mean, modeling is hard. I mean, it's not just people just think, oh, stand in front of a camera. It ain't. It does take, it is hard work. What's what's the hard what's the hard bit? I I would imagine again going on to the mindset stuff. It's like having the resilience, not getting picked, doubting yourself, feeling that you're comparing yourself to other people. You know, being told like even like this the way this woman spoke to you. It's pretty ab- abrupt. I would imagine it can be quite an abrupt world. Yeah, I went, mate. When I went up on fifth as well, I walked in and she she went take your top off. And mate, there's about 10, 10 women standing on the table. I'm like, what are you talking about? I think I was only twenty two. Take your top off. So I just whip my top off. It's, it's all about confidence. Like, I mean, in, yeah. in anything, you're confident. If you're not confident, it'll show. And it's like, if, you, if you're confident, and she was like, take, they, they kind of, yeah, they want to bring that out of you. They make you confident. So I'm taking my top off. And she's like, fucking hell, you need to get in the gym, didn't you? I'm like, Did she really? Yeah. But like in a nice way, not like, yeah. it's that <laughs> in a nice way. It makes you laugh. And then, but now it just makes you confident, like in life. Like, you, yeah. You go, you're going in to meet these big, big companies like Dolce Gabbana. You're sitting there. I mean, now looking back, that when I was 22, I mean, sitting down there, I'm, I'm bloody like this little kid thinking, what am I doing? But now you can, you're more confident, and it shows. So, yeah, I mean, that's that modelling's helping my confidence massively. And when you say it's hard, in terms of in terms of the travel, in terms oh, of I mean, no, no, sorry, like, sorry, the because every brand will want a different will, will want to take that certain picture, like laughing, smiling, um, and it's kind of hard to do. Like you're acting, so it's not like you got to make yourself laugh, and it's, it's it's quite it's quite awkward sometimes. So it's not just yeah, I mean, it's not just standing in front of the camera like you like you should, like a deer in in headlights. You got yeah, to. Really, yeah. There's more to it than meet than meets the eye. Yeah. Tell us your most awkward modelling story. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you, I mean, you have to get changed in, in weird stuff. So I was getting changed in Costa Costa coffee once in London, like proper outfit. Everyone's walking past. I'm putting this bloody pinstripe suit on, trying to like with someone doing all my makeup. It's pretty embarrassing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then people are looking at you like you're some sort of weirdo. <laughs> and you're going out and you're doing these pictures. I mean, I mean, I'm on Oxford Street. Everyone's looking, walking past you. I mean, that's probably the most awkward. You, all you want to do is the, the, the grounds to just eat you up. You yeah. <laughs> that's the, you just got to get, get involved with it. Yeah, because when you see a, yeah, when you see a picture somewhere, what you, oh, yeah, what you don't see. That picture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just getting, yeah, I mean, you're getting ready in places where like people are just like, you, you're just going down the road to have a coffee and I'm sitting there like someone doing my makeup on my face and doing my hair. Like, it's just, yeah, it's embarrassing. But you just got to look past that because that's your job, isn't it? And, and are you, are you still doing it? Are you still doing some modeling jobs? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so I'm still I'm still with with select, but obviously at the minute it's very hard. Obviously, COVID. Um, I'm going to go go up and see them uh, next week. But yeah, mate, I mean they've been great. I mean they're like they're they're like, a, like your family sort of thing. Yeah. So you any 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 struggles or troubles you need in that sort of world, they are they are there. You know, because how's that day going to be when it's like you know what, mate, you don't have it anymore. You know, is that well, hopefully you get better of age, eh? Is that is that how the modern world works? So, well, you look at like people like David Gandhi's. I don't know how old he is now, but I think he he only started to break through when he was like early thirties. So okay. I've got a bit, I've got a bit of time yet, mate. And how much work? How much work do you put into it? It looks nice and trimmed that beard, and there's, I can even oh, see maybe a couple of biceps there. Is that is that a bicep I see oh, there, Bert? Don't worry about these, <laughs> No, I did job. My, my diet's all over the shop. I mean, I, I like a beer, so I've got. I've probably got to be trim up a little bit in the gym, but is what it is. So that's it's great. You got all these things going on, and like I say, all of these things kind of connecting to the tennis. And, and, and I can't have you on, Bert. I know it's, it's a very emotive topic, and 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 people listening in. Let's be real here. You know, it, it, there will be a lot of people listening here to this podcast saying, okay, Lewis Burton, we, we do want to hear some of his thoughts around the tragedy that happened with Caroline Flack. Um, obviously you were in a, in a relationship with her for, for, a, for a long time and she tragically took her life back in la- last February. How was that whole experience almost even when you started going out with such a superstar, you know, someone who, you know, Lewis Burton, the tennis player, Lewis Burton, the model, Lewis Burton, the the trader would have never come across, I would imagine, paparazzi and, and, and attention like you did whilst you were in the relationship. So first and foremost, how, how was that to deal with? Uh, yeah, it's difficult. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's hard because you feel very vulnerable. So you, anxiety is through the roof. I mean, when you've got people taking pictures of you, you yeah, I mean, you, you're on edge. Yeah. So, yeah. But you can't make it at the same time. You, you have to deal with it. I mean, you kind of deal with it. But it's um, but it's a strange, it's a strange world because, because say, say they, they write stories about you, but you don't know what they're writing. So they're just, they're just say, right, um, for argument's sake, they'd ring my agent tomorrow, today, and they'd be like, right, Lewis's front page of the Sun tomorrow. But you wouldn't know what it is until it's... You kind of get the gist maybe a little bit, but you wouldn't you wouldn't know what they're writing about you. So, so it would come out and you're like, what is this? So the, so the anxiety is like as if you've done something wrong. You, know, you feel like you've done something wrong constantly. Yeah. So imagine that. You just... You, it's so difficult. But... I mean, yeah, obviously, what, what, I mean, what happened in that situation was just awful. But yeah. they're, they're just they're just vultures, mate. I mean, they might just won't leave you. We got mental stuff, really. Yeah, and, and and ultimately, I mean, we've had a we've had a lot of mental health stuff on the podcast as well. We've had mental health awareness weeks. You know, we've had some really strong, raw stories of of people talking about trying to take their life and not not being successful but i guess you take a, an individual who is dealing with mental health 
and then you throw in those vultures who are who are creating these anxieties. You know, you're you're a quite a self-confident person. You've got a strong family behind you. I would say your mental health is is always been in quite a good place. Yet you're experiencing that. So for these celebrities like Caroline and many more so many people will just say, yeah, but they make millions. They can just deal with that. But yeah. there's, it's just got to be so much more difficult than that. Yeah, but, but at the same time, I mean, I'll, this time last year, I mean, what, what were we in April? This time last year, I was rock bottom, mate. I mean, yeah. I literally didn't see a way out. Every day I'm waking up and I think, oh, I'm done. Not done. Like, I mean, I've never had them thoughts, but it, I didn't feel a way out. Yeah. And it was all like, I've lost everything. Do you know what I mean? I literally lost everything at that time. Yeah. Like, oh my fucking god! I'm still. I moved in. I've got my. I moved in. With my brother. I'm sleeping on the floor. Like there was no way out, and there was just yeah. constant every day. It was just getting worse and worse. And I'm thinking, oh my god! And it was just. I was. I was ill. Proper ill. But then, if I look at things now, I mean, look. Like you said, you started at the start of the podcast. I mean, look. I've got an amazing girlfriend now. That without her, I mean, God knows where I'd be. Yeah. Um, and a year on, so I'm like people that do feel like this. A year on, I'm 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 very happy, mate. Yeah. Obviously, don't get me wrong. You bring this up, it makes me sad. Like I do struggle. Some, do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes I have like like bad days or like I, like I cry. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, a year on, you get for you. The, 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 there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And if someone like if if I come on last year, I mean, mate, I would. I, I wouldn't have a clue. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm done. I can't see a way out. But 365 days later, I am happy. I've got I've got an amazing girlfriend that's there for me. Do you know what I mean? I've got an amazing family. I've got a business yeah. working. But it's just, you've got, you've got to just stay strong. I know it's very easy to say that, but you just got to just keep plugging away. Just think yeah. day by day. You go to sleep, you wake up, there's another day. I mean... And I, yeah, I'm lucky. I, I, I had a family. Do you know what I mean, my brother, I'm very close to my family, so they took they took me in. And obviously, people like you that reached out, and it is a very overwhelming. But I mean, yeah, you, you just can't believe what happened. I mean, it's crazy, man. In life, you just got to. I mean, you got to look at. You got to move on. You can't just. I mean, like, but the world goes on, right? I mean, look. Yeah. You just got. You got. Yeah, you just got to keep plugging away and just. Hope, hopefully one day it gets easier. And for, and for that to happen, Bert, it's like, unfortunately in this life, it's a tough life and, and people are dealing with these things on a daily basis, whether it's, you know, people taking their lives, whether it is mental health battles, whether it is cancer, whether it's COVID that we've gone through, you know, we're, we're all in a, in, a, in a really challenging world where these things happen. But most people have their own space to deal with that in in the way that they want to deal with it you know whereas your life at that time you know i'll i'll never forget i mean i i was i was presenting at the tennis wheels conference and i came off my presentation and you have a bit of a buzz when you present in front of a couple hundred people and i picked up my phone and it was the headline that had come onto my phone and you know my heart just completely sank thinking of of you you know i didn't know caroline i don't want any you don't want anything like that to happen to anybody but then you weren't able to just go and deal with it in your own way because 
you had so many other people I would imagine that were throwing so many things at you, which only magnifies the, that difficult moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to sound weird saying credit to me, but I'm quite proud of myself how I dealt Absolutely. with everything. Because look, at the end of the day, like, like I said, I did lose anything, everything, and I've never, I, I, I never will speak about anything in depth. I mean, I got offered a decent amount of money to, and I, I, that's not me. I'd never do that. And and look, I'm not saying, yeah, I don't want to say that people take this the wrong way saying credit to me, but like everything I've done, I didn't kind of like how how I how I dealt with it. I didn't. It was the right way, I think, and. And I and, and I didn't really tr I didn't try and do that. It was just kind of that was what I what I, what I thought was right. So that's why I'm saying credit credit to myself. And then obviously that's and that's obviously how I've been brought up. That's obviously the tennis as well. You you, you yeah you learn you learn respect. I mean I mean yeah it's just yeah I mean the, the whole the whole situation is just crazy, but. I mean, you you got to learn from everything. It makes you everything. Makes, do you know what I mean? What don't kill you makes you stronger, and that's yeah. one of them sayings. And then, I mean, today I feel like, look, don't get me wrong. I've, I'm I'm not the same person I was. I do feel like I'm I'm on edge all the time now, which is I've never been like that. So it's like sometimes I can't. I stupid stuff. Like I'd walk into David Lloyd's and I'd have to walk out because I'd feel like a bit anxious. But obviously, people don't know that about me. But normally I wouldn't before that I wouldn't because now people are just looking looking at me and then and I feel like people are talking to me oh look, that's that geezer or or whatever because yeah. everyone has their different opinions you know and, and and everyone worries what people think of you so especially now I mean I've got to try and look past that and just crack on with my life but but yeah I do struggle with with a lot of anxiety now um good days and bad days really yeah. Mate, you can absolutely hold your head up high. You know, it's it's incredible, you know, how you've dealt with with this. It's it's also you're somebody who in in the tennis world, which is where I know you, I don't know a person that doesn't like you. You know, you're someone who, you know, has has a big positive impact in 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 everybody's life and you know, under under massive stress and under under the limelight, you know, you know, having that spotlight sh shined upon you. I think how you have handled yourself has been incredible. And just so well done on that. But the, the last thing I would do you do you have a couple of words on Caroline to attribute to Caroline that you'd like to put on the podcast? Yeah. No, I just like doing that stuff on my own, mate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll always, always think about it. You know, yeah. Always, always be, be, be there somewhere. Well, thank you for talking about that that side. And I think to get the the whole Lewis Burton story, I don't think it would have been right for us not to not to touch on it. Um, but I do wanna I do wanna move us back into into the tennis side of things um and and where we're going. But but before I do that and our little quick fire round that we have on the podcast, what's next for Lewis Burton? You're not 30 years old yet. Is there still a comeback on the cards? <sighs> I have to get to Sota end of May and see, see where I'm at. No, you know? Give me no. 12 months. I've always said, give me 12 months. Give me 12 it's, months. It's, it's, it's the fitness and it's the lifestyle. So I can't, I wouldn't be able to go down to the hairy lemon and have a pint, would I? After, <laughs> after, after, after a Tuesday <laughs> session. <laughs> 
the curfew the curfew would be good for you you know the curfew there's a curfew in spain which is fantastic for the tennis players right now because they have to be in for 10 o'clock it's like if the police find them out at 10 o'clock they're it's like a, a something like a, a three thousand euro fine and they're pretty strict on it so it's actually it's done us a, a big favor and it would have helped me a lot when you were at soto that's for sure having the curfew See, I mean, I'm, I'd love to give it a go, but I think it's 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 harder. I feel, mate, I don't even know about the rankings these days, but it just seems like it's impossible to make it. Yeah, it's not easy. Although Lloyd Lloyd Glasspool's doing very well in the doubles. Yeah, he's just about to break top hundred. You've got to win. You've got to win a lot. So, so let's say let's park the tennis bit. Let's we'll we'll have that pipe dream, you know. But so, what's any, anything else next in your life over the next few years? I'd love kids, mate. Loved, uh, yeah, love kids. I mean, that's what that's what I, that's what I dream of, really. To have a lovely family, um, yeah, build build a life around them, make sure they're, yeah, that's that's kind of my dream, having having kids and being and having a successful business. That's one one thing. I'd love to be able to sell my business in say five years from now. I'd love to be able to do that. That's that's one of my dreams. And look after look after my family. That's kind of what I work for every day. You'll make a, an amazing daddy one day, mate. That's for, that's for sure. Um, although, please don't pass on that dodgy that dodgy accent. Huh? You need to give you sort that out. My, <laughs> my missus is uh, my missus from Doncaster. Oh, is she? Yeah, that's she even worse, I think. <laughs> I went and see the family. I took pie, pie and mash and liquor up to them. So <laughs> got to keep the south in there. No. Absolutely, and make sure you had some gravy on that as well. Huh? No, Northern no, boys love gravy. And moving into our quick fire, are you ready? Yep. Serve or return? Serve. Forehand or backhand? Backhand. A hand model or an underwear model? Underwear model. No lets or lets on the serve? Lets. Doubles or singles? Singles. ATP Cup or Davis Cup? Davis Cup. Are you more of a front profile guy or a side profile guy? Probably front, aren't you? <laughs> Roger or Rafa? Roger. Serena or Venus? Serena. Injury timeout or not? Once. And what's one rule that you would change in tennis? You'd have um, Hawkeye at lower levels. That's <laughs> <laughs> needed, especially in South America. <laughs> yeah. And who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Uh, do you know what? I, I didn't know Mag Magnus was on here, so I would have said him. Tim Hemmond been on here? No, but I want him on. Yeah, mate. He he helped me a little bit. But, well. Yeah, a little bit, mate. He's unbelievable, mate. He's one. I, oh. I would, I would love to get Tim on the podcast. I don't have a strong connection with him. I don't know if there's any kind of Queens Club membership uh, pushes there, but I have a couple of people that are out there. But if you, that's part of it. So what, what you, what you sign up to? That'd be a good one as well. Andrew Castle would be a good one. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to get Andrew on as well. You've got to get me Andrew or Tim. That's your next job. All right. The king, the king of networks. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I've really enjoyed it. 
Bert, it's just it's just good to catch up with you. Yeah, and yeah, a big, a big well done in everything that you're doing. You know, it's great to see that you're using all of your skills in 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 so many different directions, mate. And hopefully, when this travel ban uh, stops, you can get yourself back out, and it'd be great. It'd be great to have you back. Maybe even go. It may even treat you to a little night at the polo as well when you're over as well. Oh man, me and Rune <laughs> love that one. <laughs> Take care, mate. Yes, thanks a lot, mate. It was fantastic to get Lewis onto the show. We'd been speaking genuinely for for the last six months, and you know, for me first and foremost, as someone who's a good friend of of Lewis's, who spent time with him at the academy when he was a player, it was just great to see that he was doing well and that he's in a in a good place with his own mental health and happiness, which is great to see. And yeah, a few. Interesting things again, Vicky, for us to have a little look at. Well, night at the polo. I'm not sure about that. Can I get that in straight away? <laughs> well, I also have to say, on on reflection from that conversation, I think the last time I went to the polo a few years ago with with Lewis and possibly Nathan Rooney, I don't think I enjoyed the next three or four days afterwards. So I think I've learnt my lesson from that. I certainly don't that. think there was much polo watching going on. <laughs> no, it's something you have to do at Sotto Grande every now and then. But yeah, no, great, great to speak to him, that's for sure. Yeah, it really was. I mean, losing someone that you love is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so many people around the world have been experiencing it this past year. And But losing someone who... So many people around the country love also. It's just, it, it's such a difficult year for him. And it's been so nice to hear him in just a bit more of a positive place. Yeah, no, completely. And I think, I think two things that stood out to me were, were one, what an incredible loving family he has around him. And I think also it really brings home to me again the, the power of tennis and i've been i've been beating that drum for a long time that tennis truly is a vehicle that takes us through our lives it adds to our lives in so many ways you know the ability as we've seen in lewis's personal life his ability to be resilient you know his ability to call on people around him his ability to really deal with just heartbreaking heartbreaking that you can't imagine things that have happened and then we go into the rest of his life you know and we look at what he's gone on to from his tennis you know his modeling career standing there top off in front of 10 women you know having those difficult conversations you know having to stand in front of different people probably not get jobs that he's gone after and then have the confidence for him to be able to go and try again. And he he talked about that a lot. He used tennis as the example, you know, the ability to almost be set different to other people and have those conversations with people that are so interested in the sport. And, okay, whilst he's 218 in the world in doubles, that might not be seen as the, the creme de la creme in tennis. However, in the outside world, to have those experiences, it goes on and just builds and builds. And then it's the same with the business that he's set up. You know, so guys, don't just look at your tennis as winning as winning tournaments. It's about gaining these experiences, good experiences and bad experiences, because it really does put you in a good place going into the rest of your lives. So young, though, when he stopped playing, 22. I, I found it frustrating, really. It was just kept thinking this is another really talented British player 
that we've lost for no real reason. Well, you say no real reason. I mean, I, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting when I gave him the option of would he have continued playing if he now knows what he does know, and I thought the answer to that question would have been no, and and he gave a resounding yes. He would have, and he obviously carries a little bit of regret. He could have gone on and achieved more. And and I think there is a message in there that I think a lot of people are stopping early. The the way that we almost build up life nowadays is you, you have to live the life in this way. You should be able to buy a house at this age. You then need to have this amount of money, and then you need to get married. And then you it's all so carefully planned out. Uh, whereas actually, in reality, going and gaining those experiences, good and bad, uh, is what tennis enables people to go and have great success after. And, and, and I just think it's our job, it's our duty... I'm not saying we're going to just do it on this podcast, but for people to understand where tennis fits into the context of their lives. Talking about planning, though, it was almost planning that prevented him from really pushing on, or lack of planning, sorry, that really prevented him. Um, Like he said, he was just kind of going along to tournaments because his mates were there and, you know, he was doing all right. I think... For me, it felt like if he had kind of taken the time to sit down with a coach, with, with someone with a little bit more experience, go, right, you know, w- what we're we doing here, Lewis? What's the plan for the next six months? You want to reach there? Okay, how are we going to do that? That's That stood out for me the most, I think. Absolutely, but it, we don't know. I mean, I know that Lewis worked with some fantastic tennis coaches, and, and I think if he truly reflects, there probably was people that were having those conversations. I know myself, for one, had quite a few significant conversations with him, you know, that we could sit down, we could do proper plans. And in reality, there's, we have to remember this. People at different stages of their life aren't ready to listen. Words don't always go in and people have to live their own lives in order to then understand. And it's quite often that it's retrospective that they they learn the lessons. And, 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 and I, cer- I certainly think we can look at tennis as a success for Lewis, you know, as with many other players a- around the world. OK, did he lift the biggest trophies in the world? No, but tennis has ultimately set him up to be able to have a successful business, for him to be a good guy to be around, to be able to travel, to understand all of those things, for him to have the ability to deal with personal tragedy. You know, all of these bits, I think, are often unspoken about in our sport, which is why I believe it truly is the greatest sport in the world. Absolutely. And I hope for those of you listening at home, in the car, on your daily walk, that you're enjoying some of these fascinating insights into the game that we're bringing you. And if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Um, Do head over and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to keep up with all the latest episodes. We had a great one that we released yesterday with Dan Evans and Neil Skupski um, talking all about their week in Monte Carlo and at the Miami Open the week before. That was a really good quick listen. I think it was about 25 minutes. So we'll put the link to that in the in the show notes. And Dan, who have we got to look forward to in the next couple of weeks? Do you know what? This is going to sound funny, but my inbox has been full over the last few weeks, genuinely. And, and it's this is testament to all of you amazing people that are listening to the show spreading the show around and the podcast is getting into so many different different countries and with with lots of people that 
within our sport are, are highly influential because I am being offered the opportunity to have some amazing guests that are coming on. Um, so I can't say exactly which ones will be, so, but I am going to mention a couple of names to look out for. Uh, if you can look out for Igus Fitek, who is training at the Soto Tennis Academy this week. She's promised me that she's going to jump on for a short podcast. So now that I've said it, then I'm making her accountable for it. <laughs> and then another one which I think will really get you excited is Paul Anacone, the coach of the great Pete Sampras, Roger Federer, to, to name a couple. And also our big favourite here at Control the Controllables, Dan Evans, who we spent time with as well. And yeah, there's, there's, there's many, many more. We continue to search and bring all of these insights, stories, the emotions of, of our beautiful sport. But until next time, I'm Dan Keenan, and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>